You are listening to a sermon from Village Baptist Church in Petaluma. For more sermons like this one, please visit our website at villagebaptisthome.org. Our mission is to win people to Christ and develop them into active disciples. We pray this sermon is a blessing to you. Now let's hear today's message. When you were a kid, were you scared of the dark? I wasn't. Let me explain. I would say that I'm not afraid of the dark. It's what's in the dark that I'm afraid of. Um, monsters under your bed, Freddy Krueger in the closet. Um, in the case of my younger brother, we used to share a uh, b- uh, room and we we're on bunk beds. And one night he bolted out of the room into my parents' room and he starts shaking my mom, Mama, 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 what, what, what? E.T. in the window. <laughs> you know, E.T., Elliot. So whether it's Freddy Krueger or a monster or E.T. in the window, it's not so much the dark that scared me, it's what was in the dark that scared me. Same thing with the ocean. I don't like the ocean because it's not the water, it's what's in the water that bothers me. You know, there's all sorts of animals that we have not yet discovered, and the time I go in the ocean will be the one time that animal comes up to eat me. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm cool. Even a few years ago, about two years ago, the lights in our uh, parking lot went out here at the building. And so we told the, the management, hey, we, we can't see, we can't do anything. And they said, well, we're trying to fix it, just use the buddy system. I said, the buddy system? How about you just fix the lights? Because when we go out, I don't know if there's an animal out there. I don't know if there's a person out there. I can't really see what's in front of me. I know if you've ever been driving down your street when the power goes out and there's no lights, there's no street lights, isn't it weird and eerie and like really it's like a horror movie? Because we're so used to light. I think not having light, being in darkness, I think it just makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable because we can't see a threat when it's coming. If we could see it, then we can brace ourselves to defend ourselves. If there's a hole, we can stop before we fall into it. And so darkness, I think, makes a a lot of us very, very, very uncomfortable. In fact, one of my favorite TV shows was a show called Total Blackout. It was, I think it had like one season, but the whole point of this uh, show was that they had to complete all these different tasks from total darkness and, and black. They couldn't see a thing. They had to touch certain things and complete certain tasks, and it was hilarious to see grown men screaming, touching a stuffed animal. Just thinking like, because in their mind, your mind plays all kinds of tricks on you. What is it that I'm touching? You're touching a mic cord, but in your mind, it's a serpent. And they would put all these things in the water. They get in the water. Sometimes they put fish in there. Sometimes they put rubber duckies in there. And they would be freaking out. Why? Because they could not see. They couldn't perceive. Sight gives us information about our surroundings and enables us to be able to know, hey, what's what's happening around me so that I, I can prepare So I think that's why darkness makes us uncomfortable. But I think for some people, darkness makes them comfortable. If you're a thief, you don't mind the darkness. If you're 
Waking up in the middle of the night, I don't know if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to use the bathroom. And so, you know, I want to try and get to the bathroom without turning on any lights. So can I make it there without bumping in and falling and killing myself? And so you're walking through and you're not turning on any lights. You just let me just get to the bathroom and get back to the bed. In those moments, darkness is is very, very comfortable for you. So there are people that darkness makes them very uncomfortable, most of us. But there might be situations where you might enjoy darkness or darkness makes you comfortable. You know what a good infomercial does? A good infomercial, it identifies what you want or what you need, and then they tell you how their product could help that need or fix that need. And so if today's passage were to be an infomercial, it would start like this. Are you tired of walking around in the darkness. Are you sick of walking around in the darkness of sin and death and depression? Do you want to come into the light? Do you want to escape the darkness? And the infomercial will say, well, we have a product for you, the light of the world. Do you want to escape darkness? Follow the light of the world. We've been talking about the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Last time we looked at Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Today, we're going to see Jesus as he says, I am the light of the world. Now, to set this up, if I said the word corn maze, some of you, your eye would start to twitch and you would start to have issues. You know why? Because we go to the corn maze every year as a church, and this one year we went in to the corn maze, different groups, and some groups they made it through without any problems. Other groups, they did not. And so in the middle, of, this is a night maze, it's the middle of the night, it's very, very dark, and they got lost. They didn't know which, which way to go. They were in the middle of, <laughs> of the maze, and they just said, oh Lord, deliver us. And they started to call people. They called me. Get me out! They would call my brother. Get me out! And so what would happen? One of us would go in. We would find them. We'd have our light. And we would say, you want to get out? And they said, yes. And I said, follow me. I'll take you out. You want to stay in this darkness? No. Get me out. And follow me. This is what Jesus is going to say to us today. You want to get out of darkness? I'm the light of the world. Follow me. So if you have a Bible, meet me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we're going to be in verse 12 to begin. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is the occasion that Jesus made this amazing statement. We're going to look at what does he mean when he says, I am the light of the world, but what is the occasion on which he said this? 
part of it is knowing what came before, and we're not going to take time to look at it, but in John chapter 7, it describes a particular festival. Now, the Jews had three really, really big festivals that everybody would come to Jerusalem for, uh, Pentecost, Passover, and then the one that is happening here is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Ingathering. And it was this great big party to celebrate and to commemorate all that God had done in allowing them to bring in the harvest for that year. It happened in the fall. And so they would bring in all of their crops, and then they would have this big party to thank God for it. It was also a time to remember and commemorate what God did for them in the Exodus, when he rescued them from the hand of uh, Pharaoh. And so they would reenact different things like the water coming from the rock and the pillar of fire and uh, a pillar of cloud by day. And so this whole ceremony was set up in order to celebrate what God had done in the past and the provisions that he has given for them in, in that uh, moment. And so this huge festival, I mean, when the Jews had parties, they had parties. We have a wedding, it's one day. When they did a party, it was for an entire week. And so this festival was going on for weeks. You can think of it like Mardi Gras, like a holy Mardi Gras, not that kind. So they, they came in and they would build all these different kind of booths around uh, Jerusalem. They were these little houses or shanties or little homes that they would use trees and different branches from around Jerusalem and they would make these little booths. So all around Jerusalem, you go to the movie theater, you go to the bank, you would see somebody maybe in their little booth just sitting in there, just living in there all week. Say hello, praise God. That's what they do all week in these booths, all over on roofs, on the street, in marketplaces everywhere and it was a way to remember that when the Israelites were going through the desert they built booths in order to shelter themselves okay. there was this whole thing that they did during this feast of tabernacles and what historians tell us is that at one point in the beginning of this festival um, they, they have this thing called the illumination of the temple so let me just read to you how one historian put it on this evening during this festival it says on the evening of its first day, there was a ceremony called the illumination of the temple. It took place in the court of the women. The court was surrounded with deep galleries erected to hold the spectators. In the center, four great candelabra were prepared. When the dark came, the four great candelabra were lit, and it was said that they sent such a blaze of light throughout Jerusalem that every courtyard was lit up with their brilliance. Then all night long until cock crow the next morning, the greatest and the wisest and the holiest men in Israel danced before the Lord and sang psalms of joy and praise while the people watched." So it's in this court, the court of the women, and the court of the women is the same place where the treasury was. Outside of the court of the women, if you come to the temple, there's the court of the Gentiles. And then when you get to, the, thank you, when you get to the court of the Gentiles, then you come into the court of the women. 
In the court of the women is where they had all of the treasury. There were 13 different receptacles for them to put their offering that would go to the temple. And in this area is where they erected these candles, these huge lights. And it said it filled all of the temple and all of the courtyards in Jerusalem. And it's sometime during this feast, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so it was... No mistake, they knew exactly what he was claiming because during this time, this is the time where they are thinking about, they are celebrating all that God had done for them in the Exodus. And so what kind of claim here is Jesus making when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, first, he is making an exclusive claim. He is making an exclusive claim. He says, I am the light of the world. Did you notice he did not say, I am a light of the world. I am a, I'm one of the lights. <clears throat> there are so many different teachers and so many different ideas and philosophies and spiritual thoughts in the world. And I'm just one of the teachers. I'm just one of the rabbis. Mm -mm. He says, I am the light. No other light. It's actually a mistake <clears throat> For us to believe that the only time Jesus made an exclusive statement about him being the way to God is in John 14, 6. In fact, all of the book of John, he is pointing to himself as the way, as the truth, as the life. That there being no light except for him. <clears throat> the entire book, he makes that clear. And one of the things that's important for us to understand as we think about this exclusive claim is that there are certain things that only Jesus can bring to us. Three things. One, only Jesus can bring us into the presence of God. Only Jesus can bring us into the presence of God. When he said, I am the light of the world, what would they have understood him to be saying? They would have understood him to be saying, I am God. Why? Because light in the Bible is associated with God. What was the first thing that God said in the scriptures? Let there be light. <coughs> in Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 104, verse 2. The Lord wraps himself in light <clears throat> with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. Daniel 2, 2. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, speaking of God, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. And then 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So we see, <coughs> frog in my throat, <coughs> goodness, <coughs> so we see, I feel like Tiny Tim up here, <coughs> the goose, <coughs> the goose, <coughs> goodness gracious, <coughs> you 
You know, you're trying not to do it, but you just, it's just keep going. Yes. Amen. Um, so Jesus, he's, he's identifying as God. He's associating himself as God. But remember, we said when we, talk, when we talked about him being the I am, and we said that he uses the word ego i me, the Greek words that mean I am or to be. And in uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, it says that when Moses said, who should I say is sending me? He said, you should say, ego i me. I am who I am is sending you. And so Jesus uses that phrase here, I am who I am, when he says, I am the light of the world. But Jesus is not just claiming to be God. He's also claiming to be the Messiah. The Messiah who was prophesied to come to bring salvation to his people and to be a light to the Gentiles. When we get to Christmas, we always read Isaiah chapter 9, right? And the government will be on his shoulder. He will be called Wonderful Counselor and all that. But in chapter 9 and verse 2, listen to what it says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then in Matthew 4, 16, it says the people, quoting from this passage in Isaiah, the people living in darkness <clears throat> have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Jesus is claiming, I am the only one who can bring you to God because I am God. Amen. And I am the only one who gives access to God because I can only bring you into the presence of God. But Jesus only also can give us the protection of God. When he says, I am the light of the world, they would have thought immediately of the Exodus. That's what they're all celebrating at that time. They're celebrating that moment. They would have thought of this pillar of fire. This pillar of smoke that was leading them and that was guiding them and that was protecting them. We read it this morning. Reggie read it so well. What happened? This pillar of fire and this pillar of, of, of uh, cloud, it protected them and kept them from being attacked by Pharaoh and his army. And in the same way, Jesus says, I am the one who offers protection to you. Who is the only one who can really protect us from sin and from death? Who is the only one who can really protect us from Satan? He gives us his armor so that we might be protected. Amen. So Jesus is making this exclusive claim to be God, to be the Messiah, to be the only one who can give the protection of God. But also, he, Jesus is the only one who could give us the guidance of God. This pillar of fire and, and cloud... <clears throat> it was able to guide them to the promised land. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It took them from where they were mm -hmm. and it showed them the way to go. It guided them. Interesting Peter, we read this all the time. First Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And what does he use to guide us? Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Only Jesus can give us his word that leads us and guides us. Only Jesus can offer the protection of God. Only Jesus can bring us into the presence of God. And there's no other light that exists that can do that. 
So Jesus is not just making an exclusive claim. He's also making an inclusive claim. Look at what he says. Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who? Whoever. You notice that? Whoever. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your, your education. All that matters is that you are a whoever. If you are a whoever, you can come. It's not true that <clears throat> there are no prerequisites for being a part of the worship team. If you want to come and be a part of the worship team, I mean, you could come and you could try out. But there are some things you're going to be, you have to be able to do. Can you play an instrument? Well, no, I can't play an instrument. Can you sing? Well, no, I cannot sing. Well, what do you do? Well, I live. I'm alive. Is that, is that enough? No, you have to, there are some things you have to be able to do. What do you have to be able to do to come to Jesus? What is he looking for in you to say, oh, I need you on my team. I need a guard. I need a quarterback. I need somebody who's really, really good crunching numbers. Whoever. That, that's good news because all of us, if we think of our lives, we're not the most talented. We're not the most good looking. We know if, if it weren't for God coming to us, we would have never came. And so this, this is going out to everyone. everyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why do missionaries go to unreached people groups in the world to share Jesus with them? Because Jesus is for everybody. And this claim is inclusive. It says whoever will come. But thirdly, this is an unshakable claim. It's an unshakable claim. Look at it again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know how sometimes you say something in a certain way because if you're wrong, you don't want to be in trouble? Yes. So you just, you, you sort of say it in a way like, eh, it could be right, it could be wrong. I'm just, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Like, if, for example, you said something like, the Warriors will win the NBA championship. Ukraine will win the war. The numbers for the lotto to win are 28, 72, 6, 32, 8, <laughs> and 3. <clears throat> By the way, that is recorded. If you play and you use those numbers and you win, it is copyright infringement. And I would like a cut of that. But I, would, you, would you bet your life on any of those statements being true? You would not. Say, well, it could be true. You might, it might happen, but it's more likely not going to happen. I'm not going to bet my life on that. Can you bet your life on what Jesus says here? It's an unshakable claim that those who come to him, he says, they will never walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. John 1, 4, John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John loves the word life. Zoe in Greek, it's life. It is, 
It is his favorite word to use. He uses it 36 times in the book of John. You know the second amount, uh, who uses it the second amount in the, in the, in the Bible, the, where we see this word appear the most? In Revelation. You know who wrote Revelation? John. Romans comes in third. And then fourth place, you know who has the fourth place? John, in 1 John. John loves this word life. In fact, he told us, remember at the end, he said, all these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus is all about life. John wants you to know that you can have life. So he makes this great claim as he stands in the court of the women as maybe they're taking the lights down that lit up all Jerusalem. He stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Now, anyone could just make a claim like that. Which is why the Pharisees respond the way they do in verse 13. Look at it. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. It's an, in, it's an exclusive claim. It's an inclusive claim. It is an unshakable claim. But what are the foundations for the claim? Because they're saying you can't just stand up and just say, well, this is true. I'm, I'm saying it. In fact, in their law, you had to have things confirmed by two or three witnesses. So in the law, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, if someone killed somebody or beat someone up and you saw it, and you said, yeah, I saw it, you would have, it would have to be confirmed by somebody else. I saw it also. It couldn't be just you. You know why? Because I say this all the time. Because people be lying. <laughs> and people don't like you. How many times, if, if, if lying was not a sin, you would probably try to get so many people in trouble. And so they, God said, there's no way I'm just going to allow people to be stoned off of what one person says. So he says, if you're going to confirm this in the law, you have to have at least two or three people. And even one step further, if it was a, a capital offense, if you were one of the witnesses, then you were one of the first to pick up the stone to throw. So, like, if you were lying, you're like, you know what, I, let me back out now because I don't, I don't actually want to go through with this. So they're saying, Jesus, you can't just stand up and say whatever you want to say. You need to have somebody confirm this. So how does Jesus respond to that? He responds with three reasons why he's qualified to talk about himself in that way. Look at verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. So his first reason is, I could say this because I know who I am. And he's been saying, I am God. And so because he is God, he can say whatever he wants. He doesn't need another witness. God doesn't need someone to verify what he says. And so he says the reason why... <coughs> I can say this is because there is no one who is better able to say this than me. There's, there's nobody in this room who could tell me what my room looks like, except for my wife. Nobody could say what my room looks like. So if I said, this is what's in my room, 
There would be nobody else who could say, well, I, I, could, I could say the opposite of that because I, you haven't been there. You haven't seen it. And so God says, I, Jesus, I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. And because of those things, I am now qualified to say what I have said. Listen to First John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. And his in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. He says, I am God. I'm in closest relationship with the Father. And so I'm able to make this statement. He knew what, who he was. The second reason is because he judged perfectly. Look at verse 15. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. He says the second reason is you guys, when you judge, you do it according to human standards or you do it according to the flesh. You make, this, you make judgments on people based on just what you see. Just what you see. You don't have all the facts. You don't see things. And so you, the, 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 the Pharisees, they went around all the time judging people. You don't do enough, and you don't do enough. You don't do enough. You know what the, the, the church, or what the world says about the church, oftentimes that we're very judgmental. They're not wrong. We walk around all the time, that you're wrong, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that, making human judgments. And he says, what did Jesus say? He said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. So the first time when Jesus came into the world, he did not come into the world to condemn the world. He said, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, it's those who are sick. I'm coming here on a rescue mission. I'm not coming here to judge. Amen. I'm coming here to save. He says, so he says, when you guys judge, you judge, judge by human standards. I don't judge anyone. Now, it doesn't mean he never judges anybody. It means it's not his mission. It's not what he's there to do. He continues and says, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. So the, the, the Pharisees, they made wrong judgments all the time. In the story right before this, now if you look at your Bible, it says that that story is not in the earliest manuscripts. Which means that if you go to the oldest manuscript, you won't find that story there. So it's a whole in-house debate about whether or not this story about this woman caught in adultery is something that actually John wrote. I believe it probably happened, but we don't know where because it, it's put in different places in different manuscripts. But it's an in-house debate. People debate about that. But for the purposes of me making this illustration to show you, because I think it's true, I think it happened, you remember... This woman was caught in the act of adultery, which had been very awkward, in the act, brought her out, put her in front of Jesus and said, the law says we should stone her. What do you want us to do? And you remember what he said? He who has no sin, be the first to cast a stone at her. And then one by one, they all started to walk away. And then she was just there by herself. Nobody else was there. And Jesus said, does anyone condemn you? She said, no one does. And he said, neither do I. Go leave your life of sin. What do I love about that story? I love that Jesus says to this woman, no one condemns you, neither do I. But did you notice what he also said? Go leave your life of sin. I think we need to be able, as followers of Christ, as Christians, to be able to do both, to say, 
to someone, I don't condemn you. It's not my place to condemn you. But you also need to leave your life of sin. That's what he means when he says, I judge right. If I do judge, I do, it, I do it rightly. So I don't judge based on human standards. I judge based on truth. And here's the last reason. He says, the father was witness to it. Look at verse 16. Actually, verse 17. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So his third reason is, okay, let's just go along with your law. Let's just go along with it. I have my testimony, and I also have the testimony of the Father who sent me. I, I fulfill the requirements of your law. So therefore, what I'm saying is true. And back in John chapter 5, there's even more witnesses to the truth of who he was. John the Baptist, his word, his miracles. So it's not like Jesus is just out here making this claim. He's also shown that he is able to make this claim as being the light of the world. And then verse 19, they said, they asked him, where is your father? Now, this is the mild version. They get more and more and more disrespectful in the, the, the rest of the chapter, which we won't get to, because there's this whole uh, rumor about where Jesus came from. We all know the Christmas story. Like, where, who was Jesus' father? Who was his dad? This time, his, his earthly stepdad, Joseph, is probably dead. And so they don't even know where you come from. Later on, we find out they actually think he's from Nazareth. He was born there, which if they had just checked the temple records, they would have seen he was from Bethlehem. They didn't, even, they, didn't even want to ch- they didn't even know enough to check. Let's see where you actually are from. Because all they cared about was trapping him. Where is your father? <laughs> we heard that you're an illegitimate child. We, we, so you talk about your father. Where is he? Bring him out. And what does he say? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not come. I love that line because so often in the Gospels, Jesus says something that angers them. And they go, ah, we're going to kill you. And then he just walks out in the midst of them. We're going to kill you. And he just walks right by them. Ah. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. At some point, his hour will come. But it had not come yet. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world that leads you out of darkness. If you believe in me, you will never walk in darkness. Now, here's a couple problems that you're going to have here when it comes to relating to, believing, and following the light of the world. The first is a love problem. You have a love problem. Listen to John Chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They have a love problem. The reason why your friends and family don't believe, don't want to come into the light, is because they love darkness, they love their sin. They love cheating on their spouse. They love cheating on their taxes. We did our taxes this last week. They asked us a question, and we weren't sure what the answer was. 
because we couldn't find the particular record. So we said, ah, oh, well, we think it's this. So let's, let's just put that in answer. <laughs> and that number of refund jumped to $5,000 up. And we said, um, <laughs> I think we better figure out if this is true or not, because if it's not true, I ain't going to jail for nobody. So we started to look for the, for the actual records. We found the records, answered the question correctly, and the number went right back down. And we said, thank you, Jesus. But you know there are some people who will try and figure out ways to cheat and get as much money as they can. Why? Because they, they love darkness. They love getting high. They love getting drunk. They love doing all of those things. So when you say, come out of the light, they say, for what? I love this. I love my lifestyle. Why would I, why would I choose another lifestyle than this? Trying to pry sin and people's idols out of their hand is a very difficult thing. If you've witnessed before, you know. It's, it's very hard. And the reason is because people, they love, they love darkness. It's not just a love problem. People also have a, a seeing problem. They have a seeing problem. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The reason why people don't receive the light is because they love the darkness, but also because they are blind and they cannot see. It's interesting to see the Pharisees, and as much as they knew about God, as much as they knew about the, the law, that they did not see the light of the world right in front of them. They did not see their Messiah right in front of them. And if you contrast them with a man in John chapter 9 who was blind, blind from birth, he was blind from birth. Jesus heals him. He says, he, he spits in mud, puts the mud on his eyes, says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He goes, he washes, he comes home seeing, and everybody's amazed, and they, he's brought before the Pharisees, and they say, uh, how did this happen? He said, well, I don't know, some guy, he had, he put mud in my eyes, told me to go wash, now I see. He said, oh, so you think he's like a real prophet? He's like, I don't know, I just, I just know, I'm blind, I was blind, now I see. So they said, we're going to bring your, par your parents in there to see if you're really, really uh, blind from birth. So the parents came in. They didn't want no smoke because they've been kicking people out of the synagogue. So when they said, it, was he really born blind? They said, he's old enough to talk for himself. He's an adult. He'll tell you. And so they asked him again, were you really blind? He said, I already told y'all this. Y'all ain't trying to hear me. I'm telling you. I was blind. Now I'm seeing. You guys want to be his disciples? Are you asking all these questions? And they start to get more and more hostile with him. And they start to ask him questions. It's interesting to read. This is John chapter 9. You can go and read it. But he starts to say things. He has more faith than they do. He ain't even seen Jesus. And so at one point they ask him about, you know, do you think he could do this? Well, if he's a sinner, he couldn't do these things that, that we see happening through. He couldn't be a sinner like you guys call him to be a sinner. A few other things happen. They kick him out of the synagogue. 
Jesus finds him. In John 9, verse 35, says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The first time he saw Jesus and heard his words, he believed. And these Pharisees had been listening to Jesus, seeing and hearing his word for a long time and did not believe. Why? Because they were blind and they could not see. Your friends, your family members, your spouse who does not know the Lord, they are blind. They cannot see. And they need the light of the world to open their eyes so that they can see his beauty and his glory. And that's what the light of the world longs to do. He longs to open men and women's eyes so that they would see him, the light of the world. But how is he going to accomplish that? He's not here. How's he going to accomplish that? Answer, you and me. He says in Matthew chapter 5, Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is echoed throughout the New Testament. For once you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You are all children of light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You and I are the light of the world. We are not the light of the world. We reflect the light of the world. And the truth is, if we and I don't shine, then the world will remain in darkness. Let me leave you with a quote from Haddon Robinson. He says, God needs our light while the world is the darkest. The blacker the night, the greater the need for a light bulb. If the bulb does not shine, it's not because of the darkness. Darkness cannot put out a light. If the darkness increases until it is black as a cave, it is still not dark enough to extinguish a light. No one has yet smothered a light by increasing the darkness. Darkness gets darker because the light fails. When we fail to reflect Christ's light, We let the darkness win. Pray with me. Thank you for listening. If you would love to hear more sermons like this one or find out more about our church, please visit us at villagebaptisthome.org. Until next time, take care and God bless.